We're going to begin a two-part series today titled The Last Days. The subtitle of today's message is Why We Believe. And it's important to know why we believe what we believe. And so quite often we look at scripture and we hope that scripture will help us understand, would help us connect to why we believe. Now I say that as in we hope it would do that, but we have to always remember that the scriptures, uh, while they are God-breathed, they are the truth, they will be with us forever, um, they are words that enforce and confirm what we already know in our heart. They confirm what the Holy Spirit has already given us to understand. But without the Holy Spirit, these words are foolishness. They don't make much sense. So we can study uh, the words and still not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us to recognize the most important part of our relationship with God is not in the word itself. It's in the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. That is how we are able to understand the word and for it to take fruit in our life. It's like planting a seed in the ground without water. It's not going to grow very far. It's not going to produce what we would expect it to produce. But then when you water that seed, then the fruit comes. And so uh, we, as we study the word of God, we look for the fruit uh, in our own lives. And sometimes we like to go around with the word and, and shine it on other people and, and say, oh, well, you know, you're not doing that good with this. Here, let me point out some scripture to you. If you have to point out the scripture to them in that way, um, you know, it's probably not going to go very far. The Holy Spirit has to be the one to really make someone aware. And that's how we know we're saved, really, is when the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and when the Holy Spirit encourages us in the good things that we're doing for the Lord. A lot of times we're doing things for the Lord and we don't get the accolades we think from other people, you know, and we, we think, oh, you know, someone should have recognized this. Forget about the someone recognizing it. Does the Holy Spirit recognize it? Is this a work of God or are you just doing something to be recognized? You know, And, and that kind of happens sometimes in the life of a believer. We have to always give the glory back to the Lord for what he's doing. So we have to ask ourselves an important question when we're looking at the scripture. Why we believe it? But here's even a more important question. Do I believe that the Bible is the word of God. Do I believe it? Do I believe that all of it is the word of God? Or do I believe, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me. 
or, or it, you know, that was for other people, uh, you know, it, that doesn't really fit into my worldview. And the important thing is, if God gave us the word so that we can understand and that we can live, then it's all his. All of it, it is his word. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, by the way, that's on the front of my bulletin. That's how serious I take that verse. It's been on the front of the bulletin for at least eight or nine years. So, um, you know, it, that's how important this is to me. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, and the woman, by the way, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so when we look at scripture that way, then we know that the scripture can speak to us and prepare us for whatever God has called us to do. Quite often we feel that we are uh, just not able to do the things that God has called us to do. And on our own, that would be absolutely true. Because it's the Holy Spirit that wants to accomplish the things in our life that God has directed us to do. So if we're doing it in our own power, we get burned out. And that's how come when I, when I look online and I, I have lots of pastor friends, but I also have lots of pastor acquaintances, people from all over the world that connect with me on Facebook, become my friends and everything. And then I read a lot about burnout and how they're getting you know, frustrated and burnt out and so on and so forth. And, um, and I pray for them. I'm concerned for them because if you're doing God's work, you won't get burnt out. You'll get tired sometimes. There are times where you'll get you know, tired, but you won't get to the point where you're frustrated with the work you're doing. It's God's work. And you can't get frustrated with doing God's work. If you are, you need to take a step back. Take a step back and, and regroup because you know what? And that's not just for pastors. That's for anyone. In your own lives, you know, sometimes you get frustrated because people don't do what you expect them to do. I know that's never happened to you. But um, for me personally, that's happened where I, I expect people to be just as excited about the Lord as I am. You know, just excited about the things that God is doing. And, and then I don't see it. And, and it's like, wow, you know, why, why don't they see this? Why, why don't they... Um, and the Lord spoke to me a long time ago and just said, keep being the example. Keep being the one that is excited. And eventually people are going to connect with that. They're going to see the example. They're going to follow the example. They're going to want what we... Cheryl, my wife, is the most joy-filled person that I know, okay? And, um, you know, so... 
I don't go around like she's humming all the time, singing all the time, and going through the house. And I don't do that. You know, I'm, I'm not like, I usually it's like, when's dinner? And, and she, and, um, you know, so that gets me kind of excited. But, you know, when we're talking about um, joy and stuff like that, she's a great example of joy. And almost everyone recognizes that. Um, so, you know, there are areas that I could be more joyful in. And so I look to her for that example sometimes, you know, and, and it helps me to be a little more joyful in my own life. So here we are with the scriptures. No matter what anyone else teaches, I don't care. The Bible is the inspired word of God. He said it. I believe it. And it teaches us how to be equipped for good works. Uh, even though the world is focused on evil, we know that this is where the good works come from. So there's scriptural evidence for what we believe. There are 300 messianic prophecies. That means there are 300 Old Testament prophecies that speak about the Messiah where he came from, how he came into the world, what he was going to do when he came. There are 300 prophecies that he fulfilled. So we have assurances that those things are accurate because he did what was said. And he couldn't have planned his own birth, where he was born, you know, how all of that came about. Being born of a virgin, he couldn't have planned those things. He just knew what they were because he was God. He still is. So when we see that, we trust that. But many people don't see those prophecies and trust in them because ah, they were given by man. Man told me about Well, let's say I told you today, I have the winning numbers for the lottery on Wednesday. The $100 million lot, I have the winning number. I don't know how much it is, but let's just say it was $100 million. I have the winning numbers for that lottery. You would be like, sure you do. It's Sunday. They haven't pulled them yet, you know. Uh, but if on Friday I come to you and say, here's my bank account. You know, see, I told you, I had the winning numbers. You would be like, oh, look at that. He has $50. No, he has, he has all that money. Where did he get that money from? Well, he said that he had the winning numbers. I, I was in the news. I'm on TV. Look, I, I'm collecting my winnings. And, and you would then believe, or you would be a fool not to. You would say, ah, I don't believe it. Well, you can believe whatever you want, but the fact is that, well, I had those numbers and I won, and uh, th this is hypothetical. I, I don't even play the lottery, but I just wanted to assure you that I don't have that much money in my account. So, Jesus couldn't have planned for these things on his own. He couldn't have made this possible. He was going along with the plan that was established before the beginning of time. And when I say the beginning of time, God doesn't live in our time zone. He doesn't live in a fixed time. He lives outside of our time. So he's able to see everything 
from beginning to end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He knows everything that's going on in our time zone. So besides the prophecies of the Messiah, there are many other prophecies that we're also going to see happen because we were given those prophecies uh, thousands of years ago and many of them were fulfilled. That's why people believed. But you have to remember, in the early church, the majority of the people couldn't even read. So if you gave them a Bible, they wouldn't be able to read it anyway. Uh, they understood the words. They understood uh, Judaism. They understood the law because it was taught to them. And they didn't have TV to distract them. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have all the things that distract us today. They didn't have those things distracting them. So they dwelled on what they learned. So here we see that there are many prophecies that have been fulfilled. And people in our world today would rather listen to other people and what they believe. Reincarnation and, and Buddha and, and all of these other people, Confucius. And, and they would rather believe those people... They would rather be concerned about the Mayan calendar running out than they do about scripture that tells us everything we need to know from the beginning to the end. Uh, they believe what they want to believe. Even if someone doesn't believe the scriptures, Paul says there's evidence that can't be denied. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's the condition of the world today. They have all the evidence right here around them. They can see what God has created. But they would rather listen to someone else. They would rather believe something else than believe the truth. Reality is, the Bible doesn't save us. Jesus does. People were getting saved without knowing one Bible verse. They were getting saved. They heard about Jesus. They heard the testimonies and the witnesses from the apostles and the disciples. And they became believers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was speaking to their hearts. The Holy Spirit was the one leading them in, breaking down the barriers that were keeping them from knowing the truth. And then when they heard the truth, the Holy Spirit ignited that inside of them. I was born and raised Catholic. I um, didn't know much about the Bible. And 
when I heard someone come and share the gospel with me, you would think I, I, I was raised in this, you know. I, I went to church all the time, you know, when I was younger. And I was raised in this. I should know this stuff. I didn't know a thing. And then when someone came and shared the gospel with me, they only knew two verses. And they shared those two verses with me, but it wasn't the verses that made the difference. It was just the fact that how it was shared to me and presented to me and then told me, you know what? This is what you're looking for to fill that empty void within you. And then they left. And I was left alone. And it was like, that hit me right here. Really? Is that possibly true? And I prayed, and the Lord filled that void just like that. He filled that void and let me know, yeah, it's me. It's true. And, you know, from that time on, it was like, oh my goodness. My eyes have been opened. Now I know the truth, although I still didn't know any scripture. I learned quickly. I learned all the scriptures that you need to know to tell everyone else they're going to hell. Uh, you know, that didn't work real well. But So, the, the Bible is a manual. When you buy a new car, you get the user manual, right? Everyone reads that, right? You know, they started making them smaller and smaller because nobody reads them, so why waste the paper? But if you were required to read the service manual, service, not the user manual, the service manual, that's how they repair cars. They have the service, it's like this big, and it tells you everything you need to know about the car, you know? What's the PSI and the caliper, you know, coming from the master cylinder? What, you know, what, what ratio, what, what torque do you need to, to tighten down the heads on the car? Some of you are saying there are heads in the car. And, and so, you know, it, it has all of the information you would need. If you had to read the whole service manual and understand it, we'd all be riding horses. Right? We, we, we wouldn't be driving in cars. But you get the car first, and then you read the manual to figure out how everything works. And that's the same with the Bible. You first receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then you start reading the manual. And the manual helps you figure out all of those other things. All of those areas. Well, I don't understand. Well, it's in here. Now you just have to go to that page and, and read what the Word says. And then you can be set on what you need to know. But that doesn't mean you have everything solved. You're going to keep using that manual through your whole life. Through, from, you know, until you go home to be with the Lord. You'll need to be using that manual to keep going. Paul tells us how he spread the good news in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 4. 
And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so it doesn't matter. I know people that like can recite the whole Bible. They just spew verses out this way and that way, and they're really knowledgeable about all of those things. And, and that's a good thing to have, you know, that inside of you, you know. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the more that we have his word in our lives, we won't sin. It, it will keep us from sin. And so that's a good thing. That wasn't in there. Sorry. Um, so, you know, I know that we can grow intellectually in the word of God. But it's more important that we grow spiritually in the word of God. That it becomes part of our lives. Not just something that's in our heads. Paul says, hey, I wasn't using this speech to convince you. If you can convince someone to become a Christian, someone else can convince them to leave Christianity. It's not about convincing someone intellectually it's about some, leading someone to the point where they can receive Jesus personally. And they can accept him into their lives. Jesus gave us all the info we needed. When Thomas was asking, Jesus said, I'm going to go. Thomas said, where are you going? How do we follow you? How do we know where to go? Jesus said, you know the way. Thomas said, I don't know anything. And, well, that's not what he said. I'm paraphrasing. But... Jesus, in John 14, 6, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He spelled it out. He laid it out. That's the ground floor right there. No one is getting to the Father except through him. Jesus didn't just say that. He proved it. He proved it by coming to earth and being born as a human on this earth. Then he lived his life, and then he had a ministry on the earth. And he did what the Old Testament said the Messiah was going to do. And then he died on the cross. And then he rose again from the dead. He did everything that he was supposed to do as the Messiah so that we can understand how we're saved through him, what he has done. It's all because of him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Since we're relying on scripture to help us in the last days, we need to begin with Israel. Israel is the key to prophecy and to scripture. Uh, this is not in there, Joel, so don't, don't go looking. In 2 Peter 1.19, we read, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. No Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 
For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word of God is God-breathed, as we read in 2 Timothy. It's God-breathed. But it came through the Holy Spirit to these men that have given these prophecies that now we read and understand. So when you hear people say, oh, I have a prophecy of a new thing going on, and it's a new prophecy and stuff like that. No new prophecies. Um, because they're given by the Holy Spirit, they were documented here, and there's nothing new under the sun that we need to know, right? Uh, is there anything? Now, you may have a word of knowledge, oh, you know, someone comes and calls you, you know what, the Lord put this on my heart to share with you, you know, and stuff like that. That's different. That's not prophecy. That's different. Uh, this is prophecy. The scriptures are prophecy. And all scripture is prophecy. All of it is prophecy. But we kind of put in our, our mind, prophecy is the foretelling of the future. Okay, and, and that's not exactly what prophecy, because we're reading prophecy about the past that has been fulfilled. Is it still prophecy? Yeah, it was fulfilled, prophecy. And, and so there still is prophecy about future events that haven't taken place yet. And we're going to be getting that next week. So in Deuteronomy, we're going to look at the fulfilled prophecy now, by the way. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, God told the children of Israel to obey and keep obeying the Lord. They were about to enter into the land of Canaan. And he told them what they needed to know to be successful in walking with him and to be blessed by him and to occupy the land forever. If they were obedient, they would have that land forever. But if they didn't listen to God, bad things were going to happen. And that's what Deuteronomy chapter 4 27 tells us, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left in few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. So he told them, here's, here's how you can be successful. Here's what happens if you decide to do things on your own. You're going to be scattered. You're going to be sent to other nations. You're going to be, you know, dispersed. It's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel, right? That's exactly what took place. They were disobedient and they were scattered. But God didn't leave them in that condition. He gave them hope. In Deuteronomy 4.30, we read, When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days. This is specific. In the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. God's not going to forget what he swore. He, he made the covenant. He's going to keep the covenant. And... In the latter days, he wasn't going to forget. As a matter of fact, he was going to help them. 
And we're told in Deuteronomy 29, 23, what will happen to them because of their sin. The whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. This is what happened to Israel because of not being faithful. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. Verse 24, all nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? That's all the nations that are saying that. Verse 25, then people would say, because they have forgotten the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he has made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know and that he had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger, in wrath, and in great indignation, and cast them into another land as it is to this day. So that's another prophecy that was fulfilled when Israel was taken out of their land. They were cast out because they wouldn't listen to what the Lord had told them. The United States has been very blessed. We had godly morals when this country was established. We were on the right path. We were hearing from the Lord and many of the founding fathers were believers. Oh, they weren't perfect, but they were believers. And so many of our governing documents mention God, mention how God had blessed and how God was opening up opportunity here in this world. But now the focus of our government is to erode all the good things that God has done in our nation. Our nation is being destroyed before our very eyes. They've removed the word of God from every place they could, and they've replaced it with heresy. And I'm not going to go into all the heresy because I'd be here for three days talking about what has happened to our country. It is sad. It's frustrating, isn't it, to see this happening right before our very eyes? But this is what we can expect. We were warned. This is what we were told was going to take place. We're going down the same path that Israel went down when they were cast out of their nation. But God restored their land. He took care of them and did what he said he was going to do. I don't think there's much hope for our land in the condition that it's in right now because I think the Lord is going to return before there's any hope. for. And what would be the greatest distraction right now for our land, for our United States? What would be the greatest distraction in the world for us right now? To have someone take office 
that starts to turn things around and make things better. And everyone will be focused on them as if they were the Messiah rather than focusing on the Messiah. It's happened before and it could happen again. No matter what's going on in the news, don't get caught up in the news. There's nothing we can do about it. It's biblical. It's going to happen. That doesn't mean we don't vote. That doesn't mean we don't tell the truth. We do that. But don't fear. Don't worry about all of this. You know, the people are going to do what they're going to do. The world is going to do what the world is going to do. We are not citizens of this world. As believers, we're citizens of heaven. And so we're just here on a visa. Um, with me, literally, that's how I, you know, I've got the visa in my pocket. I'm out there spending money. But you know what? It's the fact that that's how we live because we're living in the United States. And, you know, we have it pretty good here. Even as bad as things are getting, we still have it pretty good compared to what the rest of the world is going through right now. Wouldn't want to be in Shanghai right now. Wouldn't want to be in Syria. Wouldn't want to be in Ukraine right now. The only reasons why I would want to be there is to tell them the gospel. They need to hear the good news. Ezekiel prophesied what Israel would be like in the last days. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 8. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times, and do better for you than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And so that's happening right now. Before our very eyes, that's taking place. Israel is being restored to what it was. In verse 22 in Ezekiel 36, God tells them why he's restoring it. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned, uh, profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Is that happening right now? Absolutely. We're seeing that happening. 
we're seeing Jews from all over the world going back to Israel. There are now 6.6 million people in Israel that are Jews that have gone back to Israel and made it their home now. And they are now more than the Jews that are not in Israel. And this is incredible because in 1948, there weren't that many there. There were way under a million at that time. And now there are 6.6 million that have gone back and been there. Continuing in Ezekiel 36, 33, thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste, uh, wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. And he has. If you go to Israel now and you drive through Israel, it's like in the hills there are trees. There is fruit being grown. Israel is the largest exporter of fruit to Europe. They are the primary provider of fruit and vegetables to Europe from Israel. And it's amazing seeing it. You, you can see the, the cattle that are on the hills and stuff like that. You know, you've heard the verse, the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, while I was there, I was taking picture of all these cattle that are out there on these hills. And it's like, uh, it, it's the word of God, you know, coming true. And it's just amazing. What are they doing on the hills? How did they learn to walk like that? And, and they're all out there because God has restored the land there. It's amazing what he's done. Most people don't think it's a miracle. They just think, oh, well, it was all a political thing, and they all just, you know, they agreed, and they signed this off and everything. You know, and they don't give credit to God. It's the same when someone goes to a doctor and gets healed from whatever they're going through physically, medically, and they get healed. And then they say, oh, yeah, he was a really good doctor. Oh, I had some of the best doctors to take care of that. Oh, did you forget? that were 40 people praying for you. 40 people were lifting you up in prayer that you would be healed. Yeah, you had a good doctor, but it was the great physician that was involved in your healing. And quite often, we pray for something, it comes to pass, and then we give the credit to someone else. And we don't give the credit to where it needs to go to, to the Lord. So people didn't see the miracle that Isaiah saw. Isaiah, in Isaiah 66, 8, said, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? 
shall a nation be born at once. For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Israel became a nation in a day. One day they weren't, the next day they were. And then all of the enemies all around them tried to destroy them. They all tried to wipe them out because they didn't want them to be a nation. And how, how did that work out? They're still there. The, against all odds, Israel is still there. And there's only one reason. God. They are the children of God and he is protecting them. And he's going to fulfill his promises. Another miracle and prophecy fulfilled is that the Hebrew language was restored. This is something that is a little different, a little unusual, but it was prophesied. Zephaniah 3.9 says, For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. So the Hebrew language is a pure language. It's the language that God established. Hold on. The Hebrew language doesn't have any curse words in it at all. There are no curse words. They have to use another language if they want to curse. But the Hebrew language doesn't have any curse. It's a pure language. In 163 AD, it was all but forgotten. It was all but wiped out. It was only used for literature and for prayer in 163 AD. It, it was pretty much, it's kind of like Latin. You know, Latin was prevalent decades ago or centuries ago, but now it's not used anymore. Since the 18th century, it's been in decline and it's not used for anything really anymore except for literature, except historically it's used, but Latin isn't uh, important and it's not spoken as a regular language in any place. Uh, maybe you'll find some enclaves that still do, but it's not a regular language. That's, well, the same thing with Hebrew. It wasn't until 1881. And in 1881, Eliza Ben-Yudah and his friends all agreed at that time to start speaking only in Hebrew and start communicating only in Hebrew. And this was in 1881. And that's how they restored Hebrew as a language. Just from one group of guys saying, that's it, we're only going to use Hebrew at that time. And it spread and now it is the language again of the Jews. In the last day, Jerusalem will be the center of attention, but those who come against it will fail. In Zechariah 12.1 we read, The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. 
Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding people when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. And all who would heave it away surely will be cut to pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. Are we seeing that now? Very much so. The nations are all gathered against Israel, especially the ones surrounding Israel right there. Russia is making all kinds of different proclamations against Israel right now. The United Nations, uh, they write up, they put on, you know, alert the nations that are, you know, the Security Council. They, they write up nations that are doing bad things. 60 to 70% of the nations that they write up is Israel. The Arab nations, 6%. Uh, so, really, human rights violations, 60 to 70% are Israel? Well, that's foolishness. Because Israel is actually one of the best places to live if you're an Arab. You have more chance of being killed in your own nation than you would in Israel. Israel is so welcoming and open that they let Arabs be in their government. And they don't have a problem with that. They're open to that. But Jerusalem, Israel, is a cup of trembling. Have you heard about what's going on on the Temple Mount right now? Palestinians are in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Hamas, some of those guys, are in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's Ramadan. So they're there celebrating their Ramadan. And they have brought thousands of rocks into um, the mosque and Molotov cocktails. And they're throwing them at the people down on the Wailing Wall and at the police on the Temple Mount. Uh, this is all happening in the news right now. Just the other day, there was a massive riot that broke out on the Temple Mount. And, you know, these things are taking place right before our very eyes. Um, the the uh, issues are not going to be resolved through the government. You know, the, the leaders of Israel, they were the ones that let, they allowed um, the Arabs to have control of the Temple Mount. They gave it to them, hoping for peace. Hoping that, all right, maybe if we do this, we'll be able to find some peace and we'll be able to have some. There's never been peace, no matter what they have given to the Muslims, there has been no peace. But that's what the word of God says is going to happen. All of the nations around them are going to be against them continually. It's not going to end. And so, now as we're 
looking to see what are the what are these signs? What in our world today can we recognize? Well, let's take the words of Jesus. Let's listen to what Jesus has to say. Luke chapter 21 in verse 25, it says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distresses of nations with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring. Men's heart will failing them for fear and the expectation of those which are coming on the earth of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken have you been reading about the solar flares so we're entering a period of solar activity again and um, uh, sun activity and it, it's an 11-year cycle that we go through uh, with different sunspots, stuff like that, that um, and projections that come from the sun. And so they're having solar flares. We're having, we just had a major, the largest solar flare ever last week. Okay. Ha, ha, anybody's phones been having funky problems and stuff like that on the phones? It... Solar flares cause cell phones to have problems. They also, uh, you know, cause other issues. And they're also very pretty. Um, you know, when you look at the aurora borealis and stuff like that, when we have these events, uh, there are more uh, events up in the aurora, up, up in the northern lights. And so... They're seeing a lot of this right now, and it looks like there's a lot more activity coming. And it says right here, there will be signs in the sun. What are the signs? Or we, Well, this is a great sign for us to pay attention to. In the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distresses of nations. How many nations are in distress right now? Many are in distress they're calling out for help. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectations of those things which are coming on the earth. Fear is the great motivator of the day. If you watch the news, I'm not endorsing the news. If you watch it, you will see fear. You will see many people that are living in fear, causing them to do irrational things because they're living in fear. And at first, it appeared that the fear was justified. But now, it, it, it makes you question, why is everybody afraid? What's really happening? What's really going on? You know what? I fear driving on the freeway more than, you know, going to Safeway. I don't know. I've been in Safeway. It gets pretty rough in there too. But, <laughs> but fear, you could be afraid of anything. And you know what? They want you to be afraid. The more fearful you are, the more you will listen to them. As if they have answers. They haven't figured anything out. Not a thing. 
They are the problem. You know, who was it? Ronald Reagan said, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Um, you know, he's, you know that's, that's not real. Be afraid of them. Verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Okay, um, the Son of Man is coming in a cloud. We're not talking about the second coming. Many people equate this to the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. It's not talking about that. This is Jesus talking. And he said, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud, in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when you, these things begin to happen, are they beginning to happen? Yeah, we're seeing them all around us now. Everything that Jesus has been talking, oh, well, what was he talking about? Well, this goes back to Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21, where we read about what the events will be like in the last days on the earth. He said, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and earthquakes in many places. And when you see these things, they're just the beginning of troubles. And so we see these things happening. And now he says, when you see those things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. If you read the book of Revelation... You won't look at it, read it, and say, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> because there's nothing to look forward to in the book of Revelation except for Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And then I heard a voice from heaven saying, come up here. That was the good news. And so from that point on, it goes downhill. That we're going to cover next week because that's the part where prophecy is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus and then entering into the tribulation. I'm not going to focus on the tribulation. I've got good news. You're not going to be there. If you want to read about it, go right ahead. But you're not going to be there. As you read about what goes on in the tribulation on the earth, Consider the people that will be here. Those are the people that we need to be sharing the good news with so that they won't be here. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourself the summer is now near. So, you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Okay, and, and there are many different um, commentaries about what that actually means. But here, I'm going I'm to simplify this. Okay, Israel is the fig tree. It became a nation in 1948. When Israel became a nation in 1948, that clock started ticking. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And so um, that generation hasn't passed away yet. There are people that were born here before 1948 
And so, uh, not to say that all of them have to die. It wasn't like in uh, the time through walk, uh, wandering uh, from Egypt in the wilderness, that whole generation had to pass away before they went into Canaan. This is something different. This says that generation will by no means pass away. And so that means it'll happen in that generation. Are we in that generation? Yes. We're living in that generation now. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare to those, all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. You see, it's going to be a snare to those who are still dwelling on the face of the earth when all the Christians are gone. It's a snare to them. Not to the Christians. We're gone. And so that's why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. That's what I'm going to be talking about next week. But for this week, we know that we're prepared for these things because Jesus told us to be. The word of God isn't going to pass away. It's going to be true today and forever. But many people are becoming apathetic in their walk with Christ. They think that, oh, we're going to be here for a while. They believe that, you know, Jesus coming to the earth is the next event on the calendar. And I don't believe that. I have many scriptures next week that we'll talk about that will prove that that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. He said, Be counted worthy to escape all of the things that are going to come to pass. The only way you can escape them is if you're not here for them. And so he says, watch therefore and pray always that you be counted worthy. There's a way for us to be prepared, to be ready, to get out of here. Here's the condition of the earth, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the uh, Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. We're seeing that happen right now. The apostasy, people departing from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. There are many people that are into spiritualism again. They're believing in spiritualism rather than be, believing in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. There are plenty of those out there now. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They can't believe the truth. They've, this is just like Pharaoh. Ten times, you know, let my people go. No, it's not going to happen. And he didn't do it. They, he seared his own heart his own, and that's what's happening then. Peter, uh, Paul also tells us some of the indications that we're in the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to skip over the 2 uh, Peter 
verses. I'm going to go right to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's what we're seeing today. People that raise up Christian leaders that are teaching fables, that are not teaching the truth. But it's what people want to hear. Oh, I, I, I would rather hear good stuff that makes me feel good. I want to hear the truth, even if it doesn't make me feel good. I want to hear the truth. And so I want to be prepared for whatever is coming next. We close with um, First, Tim, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 1, where we're told, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. This isn't written for the first century church. This is written for us today. You see, they weren't going to have this happen in their day, but we are in our day. And we're supposed to be prepared for this. They're all home with the Lord now. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They're there. They're good. But we are going to be experiencing what's coming next. But you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. We're not in darkness because we hear the truth. We've read it. We're prepared for it. And now we can tell others. We don't have to tell them about the rapture. We don't have to tell them about tribulation. We don't have to, we have to tell them about Jesus. Amen. He is our hope. It's the good news of Jesus that saves us. Not the bad news of revelation that makes us fear, you know, and, and that's why we go to church. That's not a reason to go to church. The reason to go to church is because we love Jesus and we want to hear more about him. And we want to be prepared for his return. So when he comes back, we're like, woohoo! Can, can you do that for me? Woohoo! Ah, there we go! We're like, that's, we're excited because he's returning. We're not going to say, oh, well, you know, I'm supposed to get the delivery of my new car next week, so can you hold off for a week? I want to at least get 100 miles on it. No! Who cares? We don't need that kind of stuff. So we shouldn't be caught off guard. And these scriptures point us to why we believe what we believe. And what we believe is the topic of our message next week. Amen? Amen.